It's not science. It's not gambling. It's both. Welcome to the Science Slot Machine, a dangerous game of science, research, luck, and improvisation. This podcast is brought to you by students of the Science and Technology Studies Master Program at the University of Vienna. Even though gambling is largely forbidden here, we take our chances. Every episode, we pick a random topic from science and technology suggested by you, dear listeners. Then two teams split up to do research on this very topic from an STS perspective. In the end, the two teams present their findings, whether it's dog breeding or the history of sex toys. What a dangerous, thrilling and insightful game this is. Now it's time to send us your topics. Pick whatever comes to your mind. We will deal with it, even if it's obscure or very niche. Challenge us. Simply send us an email at science-slot-machine at gmail.com. Again, it's science-slot-machine at gmail.com. No spaces. We look forward to hearing from you. Hey everyone, welcome to the Science Slot Machine podcast. I'm here with the team and we're going to draw the second episode topic. We, we had such a fun time doing the first episode. I think I can speak on behalf of the whole team and we're really excited to um, see what the second topic is going to be for everyone. Um, we again want to give a huge shout out to everyone who sent topics in. I think we got about 30 topic suggestions this time, so that's really awesome and we're super happy um, that everyone's sending stuff in because without your suggestions we wouldn't be able to keep doing our podcast so thanks so much um, I'm going to draw the second topic now so drum roll please okay the second topic is coffee house culture in Vienna yeah. That's nice. Coffee. I haven't been at a coffee house since 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 we locked down. For real? Yeah, me neither. Oh, I I thought you were gonna say ever. No, I was like, wow. Well, <laughs> no, no, no. Since we locked up. I don't know. We have a new coffee grinder at home and Ooh. now there's really no reason anymore to go out. Yeah, there's yeah, yeah. no reason to leave. But now you have yeah. a reason again. And yeah, last thing with the with all the lockdown, there is no tourists around, so you can go to all the coffee houses that are usually frequented by tourists. Do you know what we can do? We can do a tour. You know how they make these bar tours where you kind of drink one beer in multiple bars? We yeah. can do the same, but with coffee houses. <laughs> I can imagine yeah. how energetic we are going to be at the end of the day, but... And then, uh, and then afterwards, we're gonna decide where our stomach is gonna be. Yeah, I don't think <laughs> my, I don't think my digestive system can handle such a tour. So I'm gonna be honest there. That's okay. <laughs> they have they have other drinks at coffee houses. Harry, yeah. you can drink a soda citron, but I think yeah. like, three, nice. like but ten soda citrons in a row. <laughs> I think that, yeah. <laughs> that is also bad for the digestive system. But yeah. they have tea, yeah. or you can also get like beer and wine and stuff. Yeah. What do you guys think? Do you think there's still any coffee house culture of the famous Viennese coffee house culture from the beginning of the last century? You think that's still a thing? I guess no. we will find out. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's like 
very retrofied. Like, uh, when I when I go into a in a cool coffee house, I always have a feeling that people pretend to be in a coffee house. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. they they take out some some huge notebook, write down some notes, and I don't know three books on a pile. Like who's reading three books at the same time in a coffee house? Yeah, they're like, ah, oh, look at me! I'm Thomas Bernhardt. I'm so intellectual. But then. What do they end up doing? Probably just browsing the web, right? Like checking Facebook. Maybe, and maybe. Nice, productive day at the coffee house. But so that's also I've just seen, a prejudice. Maybe they're yeah, really intellectuals. People. So team, team Banana and Team Cherry both sound pretty excited about this second topic of coffee house culture in Vienna. I'm personally really excited to hear what you guys come up with. Um, thanks, thanks so much, everyone, again, for sending in the topics. Without you guys, our podcast wouldn't be possible. Send us more topic suggestions if you have them. Give us a follow on Instagram. And we'll see you next time. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Science Slot Machine podcast. We're really excited to get going today. Um, so first, we're going to hear a presentation from Team Banana. Um, that they've prepared on their research on coffeehouse culture in Vienna. And then um, we have Kat and Harry here from Team Cherry to have a bit of a critical discussion on the presentation. And we'll all just kind of talk about what we thought and what we think about coffeehouse cultures in Vienna. Hey, Costa. Hey, Robi. How are you today? I'm great, thanks. I mean, uh, I've been working a lot and the summer has just started, but I'm doing fine. Thank you. I'm also enjoying the beginning of the summer with full force. <laughs> so, all good. Yeah, I'm also coming into the summer mood, so to say. Nice. Yeah, we're here today to discuss our, our findings on our topic, which is coffeehouse cultures in Vienna. We met up at a coffeehouse, right? We went to Café Central, which is one of the most popular coffeehouses in Vienna. It was amazing. The whole atmosphere there is just so special and different from the modern coffeehouses. Yeah, it's super interesting, but super touristy as well, I think. But these days with the COVID-19 pandemic, it's a little bit different than it used to be, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it was really quiet. Like we, and we didn't have to wait in line because normally you have to like wait for 30 minutes in line or even longer, I think. Yeah, as you said, Robbie, the atmosphere is really great because it's such a nice building. It's, it's hard to, to tell in a podcast like we cannot show any pictures you have to go to our instagram for that but uh, what we can show you is the sound of a coffee house so guys what do you how, how would you explain the sound like in general what role does it play Ooh, i would say the sound does play a role you have all the background of the waiters and uh, also from time to time you have music in the background i think but in general it's also it's kind of a good working atmosphere as well like you have these background noises they're not too loud and you have a little chats from the other people yeah i would say it's a it's a good atmosphere i like it <laughs> Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think it's kind of a mixture of uh, using your all of your senses in order to really feel the atmosphere. Because if you ignore how everything looks like and if focus on your work and you're into this deep work mode, you really feel the dynamic just by the sounds. Yeah, so maybe we just take a listen. 
Yeah. Yeah. Sound like. Who's, who's playing this piano? It's uh, Alejandro Escuder. He is from Spain, but he used to live also in Vienna. Great pianist. We are gonna leave a link to his website also in the description. Yeah, and I think it's an, a na- nice soundbite because when we were there at Café Central, there was no no music, unfortunately. But yeah, as as you heard. You have the music, but there's also this chittery chat by other people, the sound of dishes, uh, clapping together. And uh, before we were at Café Central, I ate a burger at McDonald's <laughs> because the food at Café Central really what? is fucking expensive. And uh, there, there's also music at McDonald's or Mac Café. Ah, yeah. Where they, they have like this special area now which resembles a coffee house. Yeah, the atmosphere is a little bit different. So there are other sounds, like when compared to McAfee, uh, to, to Café Central, right? Yeah, you hear more glasses and more um, like spoons and stuff. Yeah. You hear a lot of bass drum, <laughs> actually. <laughs> yeah, there's dance music playing. And also like the, the beeps from, from the... Um, Counter, right? Yeah. Yeah, from the machines where yeah. they prepare all the food, like when, when food is ready and stuff. Do you guys know that actually the first coffee house in Vienna was uh, officially opened back in 1685? That's early. That's like really a long time ago. Actually, it was opened by an Armenian spy and um, two years earlier. Yeah, and just uh, it was actually opened by an Armenian spy. And that's very interesting because you can kind of assume uh, how interesting place a coffee house might have been for a spy. Yeah, that's a lot a of perfect, perfect mm-hmm. idea. Yeah, especially like if it was the first coffee house. Like I think it was really, really trendy place back in the days then. Yes, totally. Yeah. And how did it go from then? From then, like how did it evolve? Uh, well, another interesting fact is actually that the seeds they were using at the beginning were left from the Turks after a siege a few years earlier. So they didn't know what to do with the beans and they needed somebody to figure out what they're used for. And they kind of came up with the idea it's coffee. And a coffee house was the great place to distribute that. And uh, with the years, uh, coffee houses really gained popularity in Vienna. And slowly, like in the in the 1720s, they started to serve also alcohol and meals. Nice. And yeah, just in the middle of the 19th century, they also allowed women to enter coffee houses because they were banned before that. Imagine. Wow. Wow. Okay. So that was a big cut back then, really. Yeah. Wh- why do you think they were not allowed to enter? I think only the cashiers were women. Really? Yeah. That's strange. Okay, because I guess maybe Bonnie has an idea. I think he he has an idea, right? 
Well, I, I think it's connected to generally the, the women's rights movement and how women were mostly banned from the public and also from politics. And this started to change from the late 18th century onwards. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm kind of surprised that coffee houses started so early in history. Like I would yeah. have thought that it started like in the 19th century. Yeah, same here. I think, yeah, with the fin des siècle, this was kind of... The, I would have expected this as the time when the coffeehouse culture started, in Vienna especially. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it just developed in a different way as more people started together and they were making those mini communities meeting up in the coffee houses. Yeah, regarding the, like the communities there, like... Robbie, I think you have like an STS take on the whole thing. Because in the end, you're a science technology society podcast. So we have to have something about the, the societal importance of the coffee house. The thought collectives. No, for real? I know those. <laughs> yeah. what, are, what is a thought collective? Uh, maybe Costa can tell us more about it. Yeah, of course I can. <laughs> I mean, a thought collective basically is uh, from Ludwig Fleck, which was a scientist, basically. In the end, what he's saying is uh, not like Thomas Kuhn, who developed a theory later on with the par paradigms, but Ludwig Fleck is generally more cited, reflected and discussed in STS. Uh, it's a really important concept, the thought collective. And a thought collective uh, in a nutshell is the people and the ideas that you and your surrounding share as a common understanding. So, for example, I would say that Team Banana kind of could be a thought collective. So Borny, Robbie and me, we could be a thought collective together, but you can also scale this up a lot. You can say a political party is a thought collective or is especially as we are science, technology and society uh, students, we talk about scientists being in a thought collective. Like for instance, the sociologists at the department here in Vienna, they share a common understanding, ideas and concepts and also tools for for their work so they um, are kind of a thought collective but the crucial thing is you can be part of more than one thought collective at a time so you can be in a political party but as well a scientist and you can be in both thought collectives is that kind of what do you what do your guys think it's super good and i think that all the writers and politicians that used to gather at the coffee houses and are still doing it they're really creating thought collectives and they're active participants in the public life as well Borny I think you kind of mentioned uh, Hertha Pauli maybe you can kind of introduce us a bit more into her life and her l legacy yeah so we, we talked a little bit about the history of the thought collective like an important thought collective I think is like writers and authors and intellectuals like the coffee house was a place to get all the recent news and discuss those back in the day before digitalization i mean you have to you had to get your news in an analog way you have to, you had to talk to people or read the newspaper hertha pauli was an austrian writer and uh, she wrote this book der riss der zeit geht durch mein herz or break of time and where she describes how the transfer of power to Hitler and the Third Reich in 1938 happened. And this book started 
at the very day, on the 11th of March, where this happened, uh, she was at a coffee house, <laughs> uh, to be exact, Kaffee uh, Herrenhof. And there she sat next to the table of Seis Inkart, who um, was a Nazi and uh, the Secretary of Interior of that time. And there he got a call where he was informed about the ultimatum towards Shushnik, the former dictator of Austria fascism, that uh, Hitler demands that he would hand the power to him in the next hour. So that's like an interesting piece of history, which really highlights the importance of coffee house culture. So you said just, Borny, that uh, he, he got a call there. How is that happening? Yeah, there was like telephone networks, like having telephones at home. It's a quite recent phenomenon. And formerly, there was a telephone in every coffee house. And you would call there uh, because you knew like this person always is at Cafe Herrenhof in the afternoon. And yeah. the people of the government knew uh, that says in quartz always is at Cafe Herrenhof reading the German newspapers <laughs> he informed about the uh, recent news from the Third Reich. Okay, thank you very much for this interesting facet. I was wondering about it, but thanks for lighting me up. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, I think just I want to add as something last is that it's super interesting how they had those unwritten rules of who is where in which communities in which cafe house at what time. So it was a super social place back in the days where As you, Borny mentioned, there were no digital tools to connect with people. And I think that's probably the reason why um, the Viennese coffee house culture is listed as intangible heritage in Austria as part of UNESCO with all the typical stuff that are part of the coffee house culture, the information exchange, the people going there, the coffee, the newspapers, uh, the piano music. And it really is one big uh, social place, a social market, if you want. Yeah, I think so too. And especially if you think of it uh, through the lens of the thought collectives, you 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 really see how people share uh, their thoughts, their talks, their work at these coffee house places, which is really it is an interesting facet to me, at least. What do you think, Borny? Yeah, I think that sums it up quite good like the relevance of the coffee house and um, but it can be also studied from STS and I think there could be a lot of research done like what current thought collectives are there in Wow, today. that's actually a super good idea. I don't have a theme for my master thesis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I think what is nice about this concept is that it's really time and place bound. Yeah. So you can you could really look like who's meeting at Cafe Central today. Is, is, is it an important place for how politics develop? Yeah. I think I would rather go to Cafe Havelka, Cafe Ritter, at different places, Florianihof maybe. But yeah, Cafe Central of course is one of the most outstanding and most known places for like uh coffee house culture yeah. true uh, do you by the way know that uh, Cafe Sperl it's built in the 1880s 
and it's the only coffee house in Vienna that has never been rebuilt or modernized. They're keeping Whoa. it super original, like, yeah. Crazy. So, Borny, we have heard a lot now, but what do you really think? Do you think uh, these thought collectives in the and the coffeehouse culture in Vienna itself still exist, or is it not a thing anymore? So, yeah, when we, when we met there at Coffee Central, I realized that this is also like a very artificial place. It's a modern company where tailored towards um, just a tourist, which are only in the city for like one or two days and they line up there to to see like the most original coffee house uh, of Vienna. And I also have a feeling that like people living in Vienna do not really go there anymore unless some mm -hmm. parents visit them or a good friend from the US or something. And um, this reminded me of a piece of post-structuralist uh, theory I engaged with once. Namely, um, John Baudrillard's theory about simulacra and simulation. That sounds complicated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a bit complicated, but I listened to a philosophy podcast and they, they broke it down really easily and I reread some parts of the book. Baudrillard starts out with like a thought experiment. If one pretends to be ill, it's really impossible to say if a person is really ill or not. And at some point even the person pretending might not be sure anymore if he or she is really ill or not. In relation to our case, if one enters a place which pretends uh, to be a traditional Viennese coffee house, how do you really tell if that place is a traditional coffee house and how do you tell if coffee house culture really still exists or if it's just a simulation of coffee house culture? So... What Baudrillard says that a simulation recreates reality according to its own logic and, it's, and as science, technology, society students, we, we are already like accustomed to the process of simulations, like during Corona, also reality and infection rates get simulated and these are highly influential on reality itself, so reality gets transformed according to these models, like you need to flatten the curve and stuff. Can you maybe explain this a little? Yeah. So we podcasted this via the movie Matrix. So in Matrix, like the whole reality is simulated and the people in the simulation think that the simulation is the reality, but indeed it isn't. And it's really impossible to, to say if the world we're living in is a simulation or if it's really real. So I kind of have the, the impression that we are kind of pretending that coffeehouse culture still exists. The traditional idea of a coffeehouse, where there are all these circle of people who meet very regularly, maybe every day, and where all these important writers and intellectuals are to be found, I think that's not really the case anymore. Like we already talked about, you go there to work, but you do not really interact anymore with anyone sitting next to you yeah i totally agree with you and actually i think that's something you could apply for almost every tradition in our lives and also the cultural traditions that pass on from one generation to another we kind of simulate them something else that came on my mind uh, in relation to the tradition is actually It's very typical for the coffee houses that they have those newspapers and a special tool that you can read the newspaper with. 
And I've never seen in my entire life somebody reading a newspaper in a coffee house. Really? I mean, really? I have. Okay, I have that's myself. Still myself. There I have read uh, okay. the newspaper Perfect. in the coffee house. To sum it up, maybe we just listen to the simulation of coffee house culture one more time with this beautiful piano. Okay, thanks Team Banana so much for the um, really insightful kind of snapshot into coffeehouse culture in Vienna. I think there's a lot of stuff in there that maybe people don't often think about or don't know about when they um, visit these places or like you said, Cafe Central stand in line for 30 minutes. They don't know all the history behind it. Maybe they just kind of know, oh, it's a, a coffee house, a popular place to go. You have to see it, but they don't necessarily know why. So you guys really explained that well. Um, team Team Cherry, what do you guys think about what was just presented? Yeah, I think the focus on sound is really, really unique here. And I think Borny really hit the nail on the head here when he said that it's time and place bound. Because it's, I don't know, it's, it's much harder to recreate a sound from a memory than it is from a picture. Like a picture might jog your memory a little bit more than a sound will. And I think it's very interesting the fact that even though you go to the coffee house physically, you still have to, in the end, simulate what you think is a traditional coffee house sound. And you can't really capture what the ideal of a coffee house culture is by going there or by going to something that's the most traditional. You have to, in the end, fake something or create something that captures this. Yeah, what I found very interesting is the, the comparison between McDonald's and the coffee house. And what I thought um, at first is maybe like the sound also reflects like the purpose of something. Because I think in McDonald's, they don't want you to stay and read the newspaper and like be there and exchange ideas. All they care about is making money and selling more coffee or more burgers. And that's maybe also like it's not just McDonald's, but also like modern um, coffee houses and I think that is the main difference between these traditional coffee houses and like modern cafes because in a cafe you don't you might have a chat and you might stay for like half an hour but in a coffee house it's like somehow it's like expected from you that you stay for a very very long time or do you agree or yeah well we 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 tried we we did think about going to other places as well to have more comparison mm -hmm. so you you nicely uh, cat pointed out the comparison between McDonald's and Cafe Central which is classy but then we we should maybe go to some other places and check out what there is what their concepts are what their purpose maybe is that would be interesting as well yeah i totally agree i feel like there's probably a level or multiple levels in between Cafe Central, which is kind of maybe this perfect simulation of what a coffee house should be. A McDonald's cafe is kind of way at the other end of the scale, but I think there's there's other ones in the middle that maybe are kind of, in a sense, even more traditional. Maybe they're having more of this um, human interaction rather than just guests going, sitting at their own tables, leaving. Maybe there's kind of 
these places are um, meeting spots for for different individuals or politicians or certain businesses maybe like we said these thought collectives are kind of present at different coffee houses but i mean it's hard to tell we definitely can't visit them all i have a question about uh going to cafe central for those who don't know like it's it's i think you can say that it's the most like touristy cafe like the traditional coffee house in vienna and is it like if you go there i haven't been there like i have shamely to admit that i have never no, been there. i've never been either um, it's okay so if you go there is it expected that you leave at some point because there is like lines of people so do they um urge you to leave you know they they will not throw you out probably but they will like say anything else anything else and yeah so the thing is we were when we were there it wasn't that crowded because d due to the yeah, COVID-19 pandemic yeah exactly so But what we experienced were that the waiters from time to time came and asked us, yeah, well, do you need anything else? Do you want something else? And I don't know if it was just good service <laughs> or if it was like making money and getting yeah. us, uh, get another coffee, getting food, something. Yeah. yeah, there is a fine line between good service yeah. and, exactly. and you have to, I don't know, you have to speak like the language of the waiters to, to know that because like I, as, as far as I know in, in real like in real quote-unquote coffee houses they they come and ask you but they don't expect you to leave so you are you can also stay yeah. there for a whole day and just drink two cups of coffee and that's no problem exactly like um when we were there i think actually some people did stay a little longer than only for a cup of coffee or some food because yeah it wasn't that crowded as a, as, a, as we told you <laughs> Yeah, I had another question. Maybe it's more so for Borny. Uh, when you're talking about the simulation at the end, uh, maybe this is too philosophical, and if so, we can get off of it. But is this saying that the tradition is reality or that the tradition is uh, simulation of the coffee house? Well, in Baudrillard's term, so to say, it would be that the reality of the tradition does not exist anymore, but that it's kind of a living corpse. So, so his whole theory is that we live in an age of hyper-reality, so a reality that consists of traditions due to the post-modern conditions. So, in a way, culture is so alienated that you cannot have like an authentic, immediate connection to any kind of tradition or cultural artifact. Right. So... Nobody really knows anymore anymore what coffee house culture is, right. but we all know how to pretend that we know in a way. Right, and we all kind of, well, at least us have the same ideas of what it is and what it isn't—a coffee house culture. So that we come to it and all agree that it's much different now than it was in the past. I thought it really interesting that perhaps the most um, living proof that it that it is dead is the fact that it is a UNESCO heritage site. So what mm. what what is living that is that that is still vibrant that is not a UNESCO site? So maybe this stamp just is a showcase of things that are living corpses of traditions. Baudrillard also mentions that this this hyper reality is defined by the musealization of everything. So the whole world gets this is, is transformed into a museum, and I think like the the first dis every first dis district really shows that because it's mm -hmm. kind of a 
Ja, a mummy of, of past glory of the great empire. And um, also this, this tourist guide in a way works like a museum folder and I mean, you could basically create everything via these tourist guides because if I say that the cafe next door in the 10th district is like the most famous and oldest cafe of of all Vienna, people will show. People will show, and it and it will it, and it will become <laughs> the most famous coffee house. But isn't that I I don't I I I'm sorry, but I don't really buy into that all because if you do something, it's like. You either go to a coffee house and you, you, you go there because it's like in your tourist guide or if you go to a coffee house and exchange ideas there, like if we would do the podcast in a coffee house now, then we would kind of do coffee house culture. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not a fan of like this huge generalizations that like all of our culture is now uh, like a museum and it's like hyper reality and we are not living anymore in any... It, 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 this is like... Sometimes you do these things, like sometimes you go to a museum and sometimes you you um, you experience this, like artifacts, and you think like it's not the real thing anyway, but sometimes you, you do real things and sometimes you go to a cafe and you talk and you study and you read the newspaper. So it's, I don't know, I'm, I'm just, I'm not really convinced by all this um, uh, pessimistic culture theory stuff, but... Yeah. Yeah, I have to I have to agree. I think for sure there are these places, these coffee houses that are in tour guides that tourists are waiting in line to see and because of what they're supposed to be, but I think there's maybe other coffee houses in Vienna that are maybe better kept secrets and that's where local business people are going and kind of keeping this coffee house tradition alive and and also the point Harry you made about the UNESCO um kind of certification or label I think maybe in some cases it's it's preserving something that's that's already dead in a sense but in some cases maybe it's um ensuring that it lives on ensuring that it can continue to survive I kind of agree with this uh, theory of musealization on the one hand but also I agree with you Kat and Julia as well um me myself i wouldn't say i for me the coffee house culture still exists and if i go to cafe hummel for instance it is this at josefstetterstraße if you know it in the 8th district it's one of the mo it's also a really common place um there you can really feel the coffee house culture and people sit there for hours and hang around and team cherry went there for our initial research meeting wow you yeah. didn't even tell us yeah <laughs> we did go i there. can i can play you some sound bites that we have from, really yeah yeah, yeah they are they're probably very shitty because i recorded them with my boba phone but i i i overheard some interesting conversations i think we can play them yeah, I, mean, I, I don't know fine. yet i don't know the people and they don't say any names or anything <laughs> okay yeah, yeah I'm sure then, it's fine. Then they, they had a really interesting them. conversation <laughs> yeah well yeah. let's listen to them to think about something like this. I saw this really interesting video today. I don't know if it's But it was about how European cities and cafes kind of within the district. Whereas in American and Canadian cities, this is. Um, 
Yeah, anyway, but like what what this 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 whole theory of hyper reality, what's the what's the point? Like I, I think it's a really nice thought experiment and sometimes like I agree with some aspects of it, but like what what does it tell you? Like what is it, what does it tell us how we should react to that? So is it um does it take a normative standpoint or is it just a, a observation because i think like if i say okay okay i know this theory now and then i go to a coffee house and now i'm saying yeah i'm do i resist that or do i um you, do you know what i mean maybe you, like cut it out entirely no you know. no I, i i know what you mean i think like it's the thing is it's not a no it's it sounds very pessimistic i i get that But I think like that's not exactly the case of Baudrillard. So um, he's not saying that, for example, going to Disneyland is bad. But he thinks about uh, Disneyland is the main example of him um, because he thinks that like Disneyland is like this simulation of of the U.S. basically of or of the whole world and. It's not, his point is not that you should not go to Disneyland, but his point is that we should think about why um, we as societies have these hyper-real places which kind of stand in for whole cultures. And I think the, the coffee house stands in for the whole of Viennese culture. And he, he thinks that this is because like in a late capitalist society, you express yourself through consumption. And so you consume culture, but you do not really do culture. So if you want to com if you want to experience Vienna, you go to a place where you can consume Vienna. And if you want to experience like the American dream, you go to Disneyland to consume the American dream. But I, this is not really like pointing the finger at the people who consume it. But I think he just wants to to find um, an explanation for how how culture is today and and why it became that. So to paraphrase, you should go to Disneyland but not enjoy it. Too much. <laughs> <laughs> no, I get it, but it's. I think it's also hard because I mean, part of this culture we talked about was created. P certain people are always in certain coffee houses, and other people know that, so they're calling those coffee houses. I mean, that's not a reality anymore. You don't need to be in the same place all the time for someone to be able to get a hold of you, you know? So that already kind of changes the whole dynamic of who's in what location at what time. Like, it, I think it's impossible to keep this traditional coffee house culture in air quotes um, <laughs> because technology is changing the the reasons for being there for being consistent at one place is also changing but on the other hand it's something it's also something timeless because you go to a place where you um get some caffeine and you yeah. meet different people i think that's the that's the, the core of it like you meet people who are different from like you have different views from yours you have a different like 
um, background, like for example, in this like Vienna Circle, the the the, the famous like turn of the century gathering of scientists of different dif disciplines, they um, they basically all met at the coffee house because it was close to the university and they wanted a place to hang out. So it's like uh, uh, you always need a, a physical meeting space. And I think we, during the Corona crisis, we, um, we experienced that all firsthand that is, there is no digital, um, what's the word that there is no digital replacement for, um, for physical meeting yeah, space. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry. I think we really <laughs> have to make this conscious decision um, to, meet different people because in our times we all get like we all get stuck in our like bubbles where everybody thinks the same as we do and we never get out of it and it's like no i think i'm i've been thoroughly convinced here on kind of both sides of the argument and i think we're coming at it and to wrap up from some different places i think when we're talking about the culture maybe there's an issue when we talk about what happened and what's happening um, and I think it's a kind of a, a good place to conclude because, of course, there still is a Viennese culture, coffee culture. But when we think of it, I think a lot of people think of what it was. And when you go to the places of what you think it was or where other people tell you what it was, you will not find it there. Yeah, I think you're right in that case. So, yeah, thanks for your comments on uh, Team Bananas' uh, work, and thanks for this great discussion. And yeah, we're. I'm looking. I, me personally, I'm already looking forward to the next episode. <laughs> same, <laughs> me too. Same. Me too. It's a lot of fun with you guys. So uh, thanks everyone so much for listening to our uh, coffee cultures in Vienna episode and um please please continue to send in your topics uh we're still getting emails but if everyone could just keep sending new ideas in that would be awesome so we're getting uh, a large variety of stuff to um draw from and check us out on facebook and instagram and also twitter now we are all over covering all our social media bases so you can check us out on your um preferred channels platform. thank you platform Platforms. platform <laughs> we have to get a tiktok channel Ooh, yeah. oh really no, learn to dance no, we're, too, we're too old <laughs> uh, maybe we'll have to do some research into tiktok <laughs> okay thanks thanks so much and we'll see you next time now it's time to send us your topics Pick whatever comes to your mind. We will deal with it, even if it's obscure or very niche. Challenge us. Simply send us an email at science-slot-machine at gmail.com. Again, it's science-slot-machine at gmail.com. No spaces. We look forward to hearing from you. <laughs>